So a few months back, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, and I saw a post from someone that caught my eye. I clicked on the link, and what I found was a guy who was a Mormon fundamentalist who was using short TikTok videos to explain Mormon fundamentalism, as well as to push back against misunderstandings and erroneous teachings about the restored gospel. That man's name is Benjamin Winfield. On this episode, Benjamin and I have a fascinating conversation. We talk about how he became a fundamentalist, how he found himself being the voice of Mormon fundamentalism on TikTok, some of his interactions with different people on social media, and where he sees his presence on TikTok going in the future. Along the way, we cover a few gospel principles and even dive into what we can do as fundamentalists to reach out to folks not of our faith. Stick around for that and more on this edition of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the donate tab there you can make a one-time donation or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation your choice entirely now option number two because i'm a capitalist if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com click on the store button you're going to find that we've got some new swag out we got some t-shirts we have a tote we have cell phone cases water bottles coffee cups we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So, even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com, so go check that out. Well, Benjamin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. So do you like to go by Ben or Benjamin? Um, Either one is fine, you know? Okay. I'm I'm good. You can call me Ben. I won't be offended. All right. Fantastic. So I wanted to have you on because I feel like in some ways you're a guy that's kind of near and dear to my heart. You, You put out TikTok videos on Mormon fundamentalism, 
which I think is just great. I've said for a long time, if we don't get to frame our story, somebody else is more than happy to do it for us. And they're not going to be as, as um, truthful or uh, nuanced to say you and I are going to be. Yeah. Um, well, and that's kind of, um, that's kind of why I wanted to do it. Um, I'd seen, um, you know, of course, Moroni Jessup is uh, on TikTok and he was, he was on there before I was. And I like that because he has a, a lot of experience. Um, but it's that like framing that um, other people do that kept me away from fundamentalism for such a long time that I, I really felt that that I was like, well, like, if the good people aren't um, letting their light shine, then you're only going to hear about um, Warren Jeffs. Or, exactly. And all like, and that's what is in people's consciousness. And so um, you got to get out there and you got to talk and you got to see that fundamentalists aren't scary, evil people who are doing crazy, weird things. Absolutely. What what brought you into fundamentalism? Were you born a fundamentalist? Did you like convert from the LDS church? What's, what's your backstory a little bit there? Yeah. Um, oh, it's kind of a um, long and circuitous path I, I took. Um, but I was raised uh, in the church. Um, and, you know, if I'm looking at like my very first exposure to fundamentalism, um, it's kind of going back. I was a teenager and somehow I came across like um, Ogden Kraut's 95 thesis. Um, I found that like online. Um, and um, I had just kind of like, I think I was like 15, 16, somewhere around there. And I had just like recently really gotten a testimony of the gospel um, just by going to seminary and reading the book of Mormon. And I was just kind of like on fire. And I was like, well, I want to be really prepared for my mission. So I want to know everything. I want to be able to answer like all the hard questions and all this stuff. And came across Ogden Kraut. And at first it was like, well, this guy is an apostate. And obviously everything that he says is. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, um, but like there were so many things that like stuck with me to the point where like I'd be having conversations with people and I'd be like, well, you know, Brigham Young said, you know, such and such. And then I think I'm like, wait, I got that from Ogden Crown is where I, I got that, you know. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was um, kind of my first exposure. Um, but I really just like shrugged it off and. And that was that for, for years to come. And uh, I served a mission uh, for the church. And um, yeah, I served in Chicago. Um, and I really loved it. I had a lot of really wonderful experiences, uh, very spiritual experiences that really helped shape me. Um, Let me and, stop you there for just a second, yeah. Benjamin, if you don't mind. What's it like? So by the time you go on your mission, are you still viewing Ogden Crowd as an apostate? Yeah, pretty much. I, okay. I kind of like, it was this like, yeah, the short answer is yes. But, but like, I, I kind of had this like, kind of affection brewing, you know, where I was mm -hmm. like, well, he said some good things, you know, like, I, he, he brought up some good points there. But like, you know, polygamists are bad. Right. Um, you know, and I, uh, I grew up in Springville, Utah. Um, okay. And 
I was, I don't remember how old I was a kid. Um, when like Tom green got arrested, oh, okay. He was from, uh, or he was living in Springville at the time. And so it was a big thing and you heard all the older people talking and gossiping about it. And, um, I had the, I had a Bishop at the time whose last name was green, obviously no relation. Um, but it was, you know, just, uh, so it was just something everyone was like buzzing about. And, um, and so I kind of grew up like viewing polygamists as these like bad people, um, scary people. You want to stay away from them. And like that attitude kind of carried with me um, for a lot. It took me a long time to like really see through that and see the the misdirection and deception that that was. Um, but that carried with me for a long time. I'm like, ah, well, these guys are like creeps, you know, they're, they're interested in underage girls. They're, you know, and that, I just kind of had that like hanging around me where I was like, I, these people must be able to, you know. So, so you're, you go on your mission, right? And so it sounds like you, you're kind of viewing Ogden crowd as like the less scary version of fundamentalists, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it where I was like, well, he seemed like a pretty good guy, you know, um, but still wrong, you know, um, was kind of where I, I was at uh, when I uh, went on the mission. Um, and I had and I hadn't really like dived deep into Ogden crowd either. So um, I didn't have like a really good understanding. I kind of like skimmed through 95 and like and that was sort of the extent of my exposure to him at that time so um, yeah so that's where it was and i um you know and then i had i'd run into the like adam god doctrine on my mission a couple times and and it was the standard thing where you're like oh don't listen to that brigham young was he was misquoted that's not what he really meant. <laughs> I don't know what the context is, but I'm sure if you looked into it, it would be totally not what it sounds like. Yep. Dude, we've all heard those, right? And it's like, no, no, no. I've heard everything from, it was just an idea that Brigham was talking about, or it was a theory, not a doctrine, or he was misquoted, or you know, the guy who was transcribing made a mistake. And I'm like, yeah. when you look at the context, you're like, oh, no, the, the first time he speaks about it publicly, it's general conference. And he's speaking yeah. from the pulpit and he's going hard. I mean, he's going like two hours worth of this is who God is. So, yep. yeah, when, when yeah, you go I, to look at the context, it's it's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Yeah, it really is. And of course, um, you know, I, I didn't do that till later. So it was, you know, you follow the line of he didn't say that. Okay, well, that's not what he did say that, but that's not what he meant. And then it's like, well, maybe that's what he meant, but it was just this idea that he had. It wasn't the doctrine of the church. Okay, it was the doctrine of the church, but it was wrong still. And maybe, wait a second, you know, and by then you're like, wait a second, I'm on shaky ground. Yeah, all of a sudden you're doing mental gymnastics that would make Olympians proud, right? Yeah. I mean, you're you're backflipping off some bar that you're reaching for. Yeah, no, I get it. And what's funny is you can almost set your watch to that whole process, right? You can you can wait till someone hears something about the Adam God and then like start your watch, and it's yep. just gonna they're gonna go through those steps every time. 
So what was your mission like? Um, really, uh, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I was, uh, and I will always be grateful to the church, uh, for, uh, having, uh, that experience. Um, it was, you know, um, you, you get to talk to all kinds of different people. You're having all these crazy experiences. You get these, you get, you know, older people with real life problems that are just like pouring their souls out to you and trusting you. Um, and you're this young kid who doesn't know anything. Um, and, uh, just, a, a a wonderful experience. I, I think, uh, it was as a missionary that I really, uh, developed a, a testimony of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's something, you know, I'll carry with me for forever. Nice. Very cool. So, at, uh, you, you finish up your mission and you head home. Is there, is there anything that happens on that mission that, that maybe starts steering you towards fundamentalism or, or does the mission you know, just kind of reinforce your, your LDS perspective on the world? It really was a, a pretty standard. I, at that time I was a pretty standard LDS guy. Um, I, um, I think I, I had some like leanings towards fundamentalism, um, but I just, I think I just assumed everyone else in the church did too. Um, you know, so there were things like, um, I just assumed that everyone knew and believed that uh, Christ practiced marriage. Uh, I, I thought that that was like an uncontroversial thing because you know, I was kind of a bookworm and I had read that that was taught in the early days. And I, I just kind of like was like, oh, OK, that's how it is. And then you talk to people and it's like controversial that Jesus was married. And then, well, not only was he married, but <laughs> married um, two or three times. Right. He was a repeat offender. Right. Um, <laughs> so um, and so there there were things like that where I think I kind of was a a little bit of a fundamentalist and I just didn't realize I was um but it really like I came home from my mission um you know got married uh in the temple kind of had this like very conventional um experience at this point for for LDS people who are raised in the church kind of work in the plan yeah yeah really I think uh the the whole I got home from my mission in um 2008 and it was like um, in the airport, um, on my way home, the CNN was blasting like the raid on the yearning for Zion ranch. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like, I, I just have that as like this distinct memory where I was like, Oh, um, and, um, so I'm not like, was maybe another thing that reinforced like, man, those polygamists are just really awful people you know um and you know maybe there's like some some people that are innocent because they're they're ignorant but all the leaders are bad you know um and that's sort of like how it was and i didn't really look into it further i i had because of the um a little bit of wagner kraut that i had read i had this like vague understanding that there were others that like weren't like that but that's really all it was um it it wasn't until um, I was I was at BYU Idaho, and I can't remember how I came across it at first, but um, I I had read something um, that kind of tipped me off to the idea that there might be a little bit more to this whole Adam God thing, 
than being misquoted. And I came across Drew Briney's book, okay. um, Understanding Adam God Teachings. Um, Wait, really, that was it? Was that the at the BYUI library? It it was, um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, I somewhere. Like, Somewhere there was a fundamentalist who was like donating books and, and, you know, it was probably a young kid and he's like, watch this, you know, it, no. it, was, it was a Mormon version of hold my beer while I go stash a, a version yeah. of, of Adam God in the BYUI library. No, actually it was in the special collections section of the library. So you couldn't just pull it off the shelf. And, and, and in fact, like the thing that it reminded me of, it was really eerie. Um, I, I heard this interview from this like um, Soviet defector who um, had, who talked, because he was an economist in the Soviet Union. I'm, his name escapes me, but he um, talked about how he was given special permission to read um, books about like free market economics. Um, and he had to go to this library, he had to check in, put his name on a list. And then there were men with guns that would like watch him like while he read the books, <laughs> you know, um, and, and it like, it wasn't that bad, but it felt so eerie because you had to like sign in. They brought the book out to you on a table. You were allowed to take notes, but like there was a person watching you like while you read it. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> you know, I, I've always said, um, and, and my apologies to anyone who ever went to BYUI, but we used, I used to look at BYU-Idaho and be like, that's like Mormon Taliban country, right? I mean, <laughs> they, they made BYU-Provo look downright like Alabama or something, that liberal, right? Yeah. No, we all thought that they were less faithful. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, it was... Those, was, those it was hippie, progressive Mormons at BYU. <laughs> They they show their ankles down there. You That's know? right. <laughs> Very cool. So they let so, their women wear capris. That's know? right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So you you end up uh, you, you end up getting getting a hold of of Drew Briney's book, and as you're going through it, what's your thoughts? Well, after that initial experience of this is really creepy, having people watch me, I ended up emailing him. And he was very kind enough to send me a digital copy. Um, and so um, I started reading that. And then um, I ended up moving down to Utah later. Um, and I'm reading through this and it, it blew my mind um, because I, I went through like all of the like, well, this is obviously wrong, you know, like I went through the temple and there's God and he's talking to Adam. They're not the same person. What are you talking? You know, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then you dive a, a little deeper into it and you're like, oh, turns out Brigham talked about that. You know, like there's an explanation for that. Um, and so many people in the church, like they, they see that one thing, you're like, well, that conflicts with what the temple is now and so it must be false so i'm just gonna completely ignore it um but then i think if you have a little bit of humility and you think it's possible that brigham young was talking about stuff that he had an understanding of and if i don't understand what he's saying it may be that i'm the one who is ignorant i'm not him 
Can, I, can I ask you a question after you came to a, 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 a better understanding of Adam God? When you went through the temple, did you start seeing like breadcrumbs of Adam God all over the endowment? Oh, yeah. 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 And I remember because I had um, I have an older sister who left the church and she kind of became um, fairly hostile to the church um, over it. And she would, you know, say, well, they're they hid their history and they're lying about stuff. And and I always brushed that off. I was like, well, no, because um, sometimes that's sometimes that is unfair, depending on what topic you're, sure. you're talking about. Um, but then. I remember I when I was I was going through that book and he has um, the the hymn Sons of Michael. Um, yep. Which it's it's sort of obscure. It's, it doesn't get sung very often, but it's still in the LDS hymn book. Um, and they edited that hymn. Yep. To make it to take the Adam God doctrine. Yep. And when I read that, I just I felt like a ton of bricks that just like fell on me, and I was like, oh, like they tried to memory hold this doctrine and make it so it didn't exist anymore. You know, I think I have to admit, I think until the internet came around, they did a pretty good job, right? I mean, it was always out there on the fringe, but it it wasn't anything that, that caused anybody to question really. Right. I mean, I was kind of an, I think because I was a convert to the LDS church, I was kind of an aberration because, um, my mom had our local clergyman give me like selections from the journal of discourses during my conversion mm-hmm. process and uh, thinking it would like shoo me away entirely. And I just yeah. found it more and more fascinating, but um, I, I was kind of, I won't say brought up that way, but I had somebody who was willing to sit down and explain it to me a little bit. Right. And, and an older guy who had been around for a lot of years, he probably heard his old man talking about, Adam God doctrine. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was, uh, it wasn't so new. I mean, it's one thing to know about it academically. It's another thing to pray about it and figure it out, uh, for, for folks on the inside of the LDS church who are maybe coming in with this idea of, of who the Godhead is and then have it upset. I think, I think that can cause dramatic issues. So. Yeah. Um, it really can. And, um, you know, it was exciting um, and kind of scary, too. And and at this point in time, um, as I'm like gaining a testimony of this, um, I my wife is, is pregnant with our first um, child and we had moved to Utah and I, I looked up Drew again and I didn't know he was a fundamentalist. Um, because I saw like, oh, well, he's an attorney and he went to BYU. So, you know, he's, he must like, he must know how I can have a testimony of this and not become a fundamentalist and stay in the church, you know? Right, right. So I'm going to go talk to him and he's going to set me straight and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> um, and he was really gracious. Um, he said, well, I'm kind of finishing up early on this Friday. Why don't you come by my office uh, and and we can chat for, for a little bit. And that turned into like this like five hour intensive conversation. Like both of our, you know, our wives are like texting us, our phones are buzzing and we're just ignoring it. <laughs> I'm, I got you. I'm just, 
<laughs> you know, I'm like, well, Drew, what about this? And what about this? And, um, and, um, you know, and, and he would tell me like, well, you know, uh, Hugh Nibley, I'm pretty sure he believes this doctrine and, you know, he stayed in the church and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that you kind of have to keep it under wraps, but you can, yeah, you know, you can stay in the church. And I was like, okay, great. And then I was like, what do you believe though? <laughs> like, uh -huh. um, I really, I like, I pressed him and he's like, well, um, I have two wives. Yeah. <laughs> I was Buckle like, up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and, and I was kind of flabbergasted and, um, but by then, you know, we had been talking for much longer than we had intended to. Um, and, um, so we kind of ended things over and, and he invited, uh, us over for dinner and we kind of got to know each other and became friends. Um, and, you know, kind of where we were at, I was having like all of these spiritual experiences, um, where I was like the Adam God doctrine helped me understand like why plural marriage was necessary. Cause I was kind of okay with like not doing plural marriage, which I think a lot of people also think that like, that's the drive for fundamentalist is like, oh yeah, we want to go get a bunch of wives. And I've yet to meet a fundamentalist who um, converted like, so that they could get women. Um, that's not really, you know, that's not a thing. Um, the Adam God doctrine was way more important to me uh, in fundamentalism than plural marriage ever was. But if you understand the implications of it, you see where it falls into the place where that, that is necessary. What's your wife thinking this whole time? Uh, she's getting kind of scared um, and not really uh, happy about it. At first, uh, she was kind of okay. She's like, well, you know, um, if we had uh, friends who were gay, we would be kind to them and we'd do stuff with them and that wouldn't, we wouldn't, you know, look down on them. So I guess I can just treat polygamists the same way, you know, um, that was kind of how she was grappling with it. Um, but then when she saw me like becoming friends with Drew and speaking well of him, um, it, she kind of panicked a lot. And, um, you know, at one point she just kind of came to me and said, um, if you want to go do what he's doing, uh, you're going alone. Um, and this was kind of a process that was over a few years, sure. like understanding this. So we had our second son was born um, by this time. And um, she was just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking the boys and uh, that's it. I'm not, I'm not doing any of this. Um, and that just really, Mm. I was like, okay, because I'm having all these spiritual experiences that are really directing me um, in the opposite direction of what she wanted. Um, and I remember like one Sunday walking to church uh, and the spirit just came over me and said, um, they are going to excommunicate you. And I was like, no, they won't. <laughs> like, I'm not going <laughs> to let them. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I, you know, I have a rebellious nature I haven't overcome entirely. And the Spirit's telling me that. And, and so I've told people before that 
my journey into fundamentalism was kind of a kind of a Jonah type of experience where I felt the spiritual confirmation and that's what I'm supposed to do. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing it and you can't make me. I love the church. Um, and I know that every fundamentalist that I've actually met in real life has been a really good person, but the other ones still must be creepy and bad. <laughs> Um, and I've just had a run of good luck and they've all been good, but the rest are right. horrible. <laughs> right. It still must be the case that, you know, everyone I have met and everyone I keep meeting is really good, but the other ones must still be bad. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, um, I, you know, at that point I was, I was scared. I was like, Nope, I'm not going to lose my marriage. I'm not going to lose my church membership. I'm done. Um, and, uh, I kind of stopped talking to Drew. Um, I stopped like reading, um, fundamentalist, uh, stuff. I was like, nope, I'm just going to be a regular average dude in the church. That's all I've ever really wanted. I want to have a family, a bunch of kids, be the young men's president, do my thing, not be anyone of any importance, just kind of have my standard LDS life. That's all I want. I've been there. I, I know what it's like to go through all that and then try to put it away and then go back. Yep. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, I was like, you can do I, it for I, a while. You can do it yep. for a while. I will drive you absolutely sleep. crazy and schizophrenic, but you can do it for a while. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's, you know, ultimately um, what happened. Like I kind of, I came to fundamentalism on the road that I took to get away from it. Um, and so you know, we we moved out to the Midwest to be uh, closer to her family. Um, and, you know, I really think that there's a, a principle and the Book of Mormon kind of teaches this where um, you accept new uh, light and knowledge. Uh, you, you're expanded in your light and knowledge and your capacity to receive more intelligence. Um, but as you reject light and knowledge, the light and knowledge that you do have is taken away from you. Right. Um, and I, I really felt that. So I kind of went through a period of a lot of spiritual darkness um, because I was just trying to like, I want it because, and I've heard, you know, people on the podcast and I don't know if it was you or someone else where they talk about it and you're like, well, I can't go to the temple. That's Adam God everywhere. You know, I'm yep. like, and you know, like I, um, cause once you can see it, um, you can't unsee it. Yep. And, and it's frustrating cause you're surrounded by people who don't. And then you're like, well, maybe I'm just crazy. They must be right. It can't be that they're all wrong. And, you know, you know, like I, I you know, and you just kind of talk yourself out of it. Um, and so that's kind of how things went for a while. Um, and then I, started experiencing a lot of struggles in, in my life. Um, my, um, uh, my mother passed away, um, kind of unexpectedly. Um, and that just like really rocked my, uh, mental and uh, emotional health. Um, I just like, wasn't prepared for that. And that, and I just kind of like spiraled, um, where, you know, after a loved one dies, everyone's there, they comfort you. And then they all go home and mm -hmm. back to their regular lives. And they're like, Good you luck. should be back to normal. Yeah, like, yeah. You should be normal now. Why aren't you normal? And I'm like, I don't know how to be. Um, 
and and that you know that's just kind of how I went so um you know as time went on like my marriage just really fell apart um and I don't um I don't blame my my ex-wife for that at all um I was uh I gave her reason to um it was uh it was um can you say that again you kind of cut out oh sorry well i just said like uh as as i went into this depression from my mother passing marriage just fell apart um and i and i don't blame my my ex-wife for that um yeah as much as she was like you stay away from the polygamist or i'll leave you um you know i was just for a long time just a really unpleasant person um and so you know that's it just, it just kind of fell apart that way um and so i had this like really acrimonious divorce and you know her father was the stake president out there and Uh-oh. so yeah <laughs> um and and the the ironic part was is he was a he was a good guy about the whole thing like he was like no i'm staying neutral i'm not getting involved um it was just kind of like everyone else in the church uh in the area was like well that's the state president's daughter he must be like a terrible horrible person right and so you know i had like life falls apart um marriage lost like community lost and i was just in this like really terrible place and you know and i'm like okay i i want to get my spiritual life back in order um you know i i want to be able to get myself back in a, a good place where i feel like i should be um for my boys and for for the future and all that um and i started studying again and again you know i come across um uh there was a recording so i don't know how i found this the algorithm or whatever um but um the spirit i should say um i came across a recording of a talk that uh rule and allred gave and in he airs his testimony of christ um and having having uh, been a witness of the of the savior um and i felt the spirit like come to me really really powerfully again and i said oh he's telling the truth isn't he you know like and i'm like oh shoot i see it now like i see you know i see where i lost the spirit i see where i went wrong um and so i i look up drew uh, again and i start chatting with him and he had had his own journey where he had been on the um reality tv show and he he ended up and was he was in missouri at the time uh where there's a, a bunch of uh, fundamentals there and uh i i went out to see him um and you know i was visiting i went to church with him and um and i i really felt the spirit like kind of come over me and say you need to be rebaptized and I, and i was still fighting it then i was like no i don't want to do that but like there has to there and even after all of that i was still like there still has to be a way that i can get back to that just normal lds life um and 
you know, when I was there in Missouri, uh, Drew uh, introduced me to Sean Anderson that you, you mm-hmm. had the show as well. Uh, great guy, very knowledgeable, really like him. Um, and he started talking to me, and it was like in the in the morning, I like told Drew that I was like, I think I need to be rebaptized, and he's like, Well, we can do that. That's great. And then, and he he told that to Sean, and Sean came and asked me, and then I like, I just like panicked, and and Sean was like wanting to talk to me and like share these experiences with me, and then I just like wanted to like change the subject because again i was like still scared of this whole uh fundamentalist world and um so you know i i really love uh drew and sean they're both very patient with uh um very gently shepherding me (laughs) um and because i i drilled drew with all these questions you know i'd come across an interview with um one of uh rule and allred's uh sons i don't know whether it was on like mormon stories or one of those other podcasts and and you know and he he kind of came out with a lot of those same like oh there's all these creeps and pedophiles and all this stuff and they're running rampant and i was like drew i need to know like what is this like i can't i can't be around people like that you know, and he's like, well, it's the same as like, you know, as everyone. <laughs> um, and then and that kind of like dawned on me. I was like, oh, yeah, like you can get online and look up sex offenders in your yep. area. You have a pedophile in your neighborhood. In your ward. You, in your ward. Yeah. Like they're there. You can look up where they live and see a picture of them and a description of like what they were convicted for. Like they're everywhere. It's like, you know it's a crime. And so, yeah, like that's happened, uh, with fundamentals It happens with like, fortunately, there's not really a community where crimes like that haven't happened. And so that, like that, you know, which should have been obvious, you know, but that was just like something that image that I'd had embedded in me for so long of like, these are bad guys. And then the light clicked on and I was like, Oh no, like that's just, that's a crime that happens, you know, and uh, um, it's a human crime. It's not necessarily one that's unique to fundamentalism. Right. It's not. And it's and it is uh, it's unfortunate um, that we uh, find that um, at all among us. But um, it isn't something that is at a higher rate or is especially unique amongst fundamentalists. But, uh, I had an interview with Christina Rossetti. And she's a, a Mormon historian. She's not Mormon herself, but she specializes in Mormon, Mormon I've, history. I've heard a few interviews with her. She's great. Yeah, I had an interview with her, and I asked her point blank. I was like, in your opinion, as a scholar, as someone who looks out into the inside and ha- have been, you know, really granted some really unique opportunities to be on the inside of fundamentalism, from a from a scholarly perspective is is fundamental is mormon fundamentalism an inherently dangerous religion and she says no she said a lot of the same problems fundamentalists face a lot of organized religion faces and uh, yeah i i I really do think it's you know those sorts of things are human problems you're going to find a shyster or any any number of personality flaws 
within fundamentalism, just like you will in Mormonism or, or, or the LDS church or Catholicism or Bapt, a Baptist church. Those, those are human issues that span the game. Yeah. Or like public education, uh, right. You know, they have a problem with uh, offenders. Uh, yeah. And you know, that's something that's where I kind of, I mentioned before where like the characterizations that are in the media about us, uh, is the like that's driving that and all you really need is for good people to like let your light shine and so people can see that like by no means is that standard and like the entire reason that everyone knows about that is because it's unusual like you don't talk about you don't spend a lot of time like drawing attention to the normal and average you know it's not like you know Top story at 10, like happy families enjoying their time with each other and being kind and supportive, you know, like that doesn't make the news, uh, but something horrible and crazy that does, you know, and, and that really gives us this um, distorted view of things where because we hear it so frequently, we think it must be happening way more than it really is. Yeah, absolutely. So was there ever like the moment you knew you were a fundamentalist? Like there's no going back. This is what I am. Um, yeah. So after that experience that I, I had, and that was uh, 2019, um, COVID happened. Um, and I know that's like a touchy subject for a lot of people, but I kind of saw like right from the outset that this is bogus. Um. And everything about it is stupid. But um, my job got shut down um, over it. And so I was just like sitting uh, in my apartment. I'm like, this is this is awful. And but again, it led to like a lot more of um, spiritual um, introspection and prayer and, and study. And there was this moment where it was just kind of uh, I think I was in the shower, you know, just like one of these things that just like hit me. And I was like, I, I did the same thing again. You know, like I have, like, I'm like, it's a pattern at this point. I had a testimony of, um, of these, these doctrines way back and I ran away from it. I didn't want to be a fundamentalist. And then I was, I was visiting with uh, Drew and Sean and I felt like I should be rebaptized. And I backed out because that was still scary to me. And I was like, I'm the Lord is clearly directing me in a path and I need to start following it. Um, and it, as soon as like I said that to myself, it was like this like heavy burden just like fell off of my my chest, you know, and I, I just felt like light and peace. It, it was it was like heavenly father was like oh he finally figured it out <laughs> like great um and so at the height of uh, the pandemic as everything was shutting down i drove uh, a few states um <laughs> away uh to, to go back to missouri and i, I was rebaptized on uh easter weekend in uh, 2020 um and you know, it, it was this thing where I, I received the the spirit as this witness that that was exactly what the Lord wanted me to do, and I saw 
that um, this stability came into my life um, and just into my being as a person. Uh, and everything that I had struggled with, like my life was starting to just fall into place again. Um, and it was just this like constant witness to me that like, okay, you know, I know it's scary, do what the Lord wants and he will bless you. And you're going to have trials and difficulties and struggles still, but you can have internal peace. Um, and, you know, I would rather have everything on the outside of me going wrong and be at peace uh, with the Lord than to have everything on the outside be perfect um, and internally be apart because I know I'm not doing what I should be. Um, and once that clicked into place, um, uh, then I was like, all right, well, this is what I, I want to do. And I um, received a, a blessing after I was baptized where um, I was told um, to ask the Lord to send me a wife. Um, and there are a few other things that were said. And I was like, and I had also been kind of a little, this is common for men after they get divorced. I was a little, little bitter and a little like skittish about getting married to one woman again right the prospect of <laughs> plural marriage um was something that wasn't even on the the horizon but um i did it and i you know i just i said this like very tentative not really faith-filled prayer where i said lord you really want me to get married supply the woman um and, and i will do it but i i don't know about this um, but I, I will try. Um, and it was just this very like simple prayer. Um, and very shortly after that, I met my wife, um, and, um, we had this like, you know, courtship that lasted all through the, the quarantine. Um, and she's a Canadian. So, um, we had trouble like getting her over the border and this, uh, crazy stuff, but, we did, um, and, uh, you know, we were able to get married. And, um, you know, that was something else I, I also asked. So I, I asked Drew to officiate uh, in that. And so I have, he's very near and dear to my heart. If there's a single person that I can, if there's a single mortal person I can credit to um, that conversion, it would be him. Uh, and so, um, you know, that's just kind of how, how I ended. And, and now, I've seen my life go from this like just period of just hopeless despair to um I my wife uh just you know not very long ago had a baby girl and you know my joy just keeps growing and, and building. Um and I think that's really what the gospel is about. It's our true wealth is our family. You know, that's that's where our, our, our treasure is. Um, and the Lord um, blesses us and, and helps us grow by us taking on those roles in our family and you know, not being afraid to to enter into marriage and to take on children and starting to see that shift from this isn't a burden. Uh, these are blessings. I'd had this bad experience before with the marriage going wrong and allowing the Lord to soften my heart um, where I could 
try again and see that he's blessed it to go so well. Um, and that's where, you know, I, when I talk to people who are in the church and they, they've read this stuff, I don't pressure them at all. Right. Like, you do what the Lord wants you to do. And if the Lord wants you to stay in the church, you stay in the church. That's fine. You know, um, but if the Lord wants you to um, be a fundamentalist, you got to do that because um, the Lord has a plan for your life. And if you try to fight that, that's when things start to go wrong. Right. Yeah, I will say this. I think there's a there may be a point of no return at some point at which you just learn too much. Right. You you partake of the proverbial fruit and your eyes are open and you're like, yeah, there's not really any going back. Having said that, I agree with you. There are people that that I feel like have a calling within the church and they need to fulfill that calling. And maybe that yeah. calling is to be one of the, some of the few who are left who still know about, you know, the yeah. original teachings or, or whatever the case is. And I don't have animosity against the LDS church. I enjoyed my time there. Um, yeah. But yeah, at some point, uh, once you figure some of these things out, it, it if you don't get a chance to talk about them with other people, you feel unfulfilled at some level. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's a um, you know that's a danger with learning is mm -hmm. uh, the Lord doesn't give knowledge without responsibility, and so when, yeah, when you learn a principle, it now falls on you to take action based on that principle, and if you don't, you're accountable. Right. Absolutely. So, so you're out as a fundamentalist for now about three years. It sounds like right. Yeah. That's about. So at what point did you, cause, cause I've, like I said, you're the whole reason I downloaded TikTok, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to download that crap. I'm, I'm going to stay away from it. And, and you know, I did Chinese this, communists, Chinese communists and you know, the, 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 the whole thing, but I caught one of yours on Facebook and I was like, fine. So I downloaded it and, and started watching and they're great. There's like 30, some of them, I think that are up there right now. Yeah. And um they're great. What made you decide to do that? What was the catalyst to be like, let me take my phone and just spout my Mormon fundamentalist beliefs and just put it out there in the ether? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, there there were a few things that were going on. Partly, um, you know, I don't really get to be around other fundamentalists very frequently um because you know i share custody with my ex of our, our two boys i'm you know we had a it was a rough divorce but we have like a really peaceful respectful co-parenting relationship now um and so i'm really involved with their lives and it's really great and i'm like well i've, I've got to do my father thing here so i can't really gather uh with other believers in this time and i you know i feel that's kind of where i need to be for now and so I felt like, well, I, I want to be contributing, though. Like, I want to, you know, just move the work forward and, and put more knowledge out there. And I was kind of struggling, well, how do I do this? Um, and I thought about a podcast. I thought about doing exactly what you did, which was go buy a bunch of equipment and start talking and, and figure it out. Um, and I don't know, like, it could just be that I'm lazy, um and didn't I get it, it. 
<laughs> I doubt it. Um, and well, it, it, I ultimately, I think this is, uh, a, a, this was a better thing for me to do. Um, but I, I came across TikTok and I was just watching videos and there's a ton of, uh, ex-Mormons who have left the church and they're saying all kinds of terrible things and they kind of dominate TikTok. So if anyone listens to this and thinks like, oh, I should get on TikTok, um, one, I welcome you because it's me and Moroni Jessup and we're the only fundamentalists really that are making content on TikTok. Um, but you are going to be coming into kind of enemy territory <laughs> um, a little bit. Um, and so... I'm seeing like all these uh, exmos that are making all this content. And then there's a few people in the church that are trying to respond. And, um, and then I see Moroni on there, you know, punk rock polygamist, and he's, uh, he's putting out some good things. And I, I just thought like, okay, you know what, as I'm, I'm hearing people talk about some of these things that the church has changed. Um, and I'm like, I could, I could explain that. I'm like, I know enough that I could say something about that, you know, and, and it's a fun challenge. You got one minute or three minutes uh, max and you, you put a, a thought out and, and that's really all you can do is just a, a, a snippet. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought like, well, I, I could do that. That's something, that's a way I could contribute. That's a way I can um, help. And um, so I started doing it and, you know, it's uh, it's great. I think uh, fundamentalists, we, we're in this great place where um, we can kind of understand people who are in the church and who like have a testimony of the gospel, uh, but maybe don't really understand how things have changed uh, throughout the history of the church. And then we've got like the 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 ex-mormons and a lot of times the only difference between uh an ex-mormon and a fundamentalist is how how we decided to take in new information you know like if if you have a testimony of the book mormon and you come across the journal of discourses and you start saying this isn't what i thought this was if you say well i'm holding to my testimony the book of mormon's true Brigham Young's a prophet. I need to understand what's going on here. Or you say, Book of Mormon can't be true. They change things, it's different. And then you become an ex Mormon. And those are kind of your paths when you, you get a, a certain. I think, I think context has a lot to do with that too. Yeah. Right. So often, and, and it's a real crafty trick, they'll take something that Joseph or Brigham or John Taylor said. And they'll just take enough, right? They won't edit it. They won't alter it, but they'll just take the one snippet and then forget the rest of the sermon. And so you may have this very incendiary, you know, uh, excerpt, but you don't get the full context and in not getting that full context. If you're a normal 20th century Mormon, it's going to seem really foreign and wrong in a lot of ways until you receive that context. So I think context has a lot to do with where someone goes. And sometimes that knee-jerk reaction isn't always the right one. Yeah. And and that's something else like I hope to I hope I have done, I hope to be able to do more of is I kind of want to say to people in the church who 
are getting hit with some of these things like oh like they changed the temple ordinances they changed the the doctrine they changed this and this and this and a, a lot of them are gonna lose their faith and say oh well i guess this isn't true anymore you know because the church didn't hold to its guns um they if it if it was true they would have kept going and that's kind of the thought and i want to be able to say hey no like that's not the only option like right. you can hold on to your faith still uh you might have a harder road to go but you don't have to abandon hope and um you know go along and become a, a, an atheist you know one of the things i wasn't prepared for when i fired this podcast up because i i figured it would reach you know 30 some people you know whatever was the amount of lds people that i folks i end up getting as listeners um who you know will email me about you know where'd you find this or whatever and i i remember i've received a couple of these now a few of these where um i'll get an email that says you know hey thanks for explaining such and such or having this guest on to explain such and such a thing because it kind of put some 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 of my fears to rest or whatever and i can continue on now going to the lds church and i think that's great i think that's great i i i didn't foresee that as an outcome but that's great if if that's what saves somebody's testimony in the restoration perfect i'm i'm good with that i saw it a lot when i had uh ben schaefer on and we kind of dove into uh um uh the uh the movie uh Oh, why am I drawing a bank Ban under the banner of heaven? That oh, was a yeah. big one because there's a lot of, uh, I mean, they did a good job. I thought in, in terms of, you know, showing the gamut of, of fundamentalist expression, but they weren't real good about really diving in. Right. And they really couldn't because they're on a time crunch. They got so many episodes, but when people get just little snippets like that, it, it's disconcerting, right? And so to 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 have folks out there explaining, hey, this is what this is. This is the context. This is what it looked like. And this was how it was kind of practiced. I think that goes a long ways in alleviating some of those concerns. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it really does. I mean, there's stuff like, um, you know, uh, like blood atonement is mm -hmm. a, a big one. And I, you know, actually, I don't think I've done a a video on that i should do a tiktok on that because that's something that spooks people a lot um and my view of blood atonement is simply the idea that um the i believe that the blood atonement just means that the death penalty has spiritual benefits to those who deserve it yeah and and when you break it down into its practice i mean with the exception of a few cases um Two that I can think of where I'd be willing to say that's rock solid evidence, with the exception of two cases where you can definitely make the connection where someone was kind of um, acting under the wrong spirit, so to speak. Yeah. By and large, blood atonement was nothing more than capital punishment within a theocracy, period, yep. point blank. That's what it was. It wasn't. It wasn't as extreme as what they do in Saudi Arabia, where they're like, hey, we're going to cut your hand off for stealing or anything like that. It was simply reserved for the worst of the worst crimes, things that would be prosecuted in some states today with the death penalty. That's what yeah. it was. It was the death penalty under 
uh, a theocracy. It didn't apply to things like apostasy. It didn't apply to things um, even like adultery. I mean, it was really reserved for murder. Yeah. Well, and there's that famous talk that um, people like to quote where um, Brigham Young talks about like, oh, I wouldn't hesitate to run a javelin through an adulterous wife. And um, and people are like, oh, he's talking about murder. Well, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's right. Referencing and um, he goes on in that talk to say that standard doesn't apply in our day because how do I know that those adulterers truly understood their covenants and truly understood what they were doing? Um, I don't think that they really did. So this doesn't really apply. But I do think that there is a, an understanding that the more a society progresses to become like uh, the city of Enoch, where you have um, a, a perfect people, the more serious transgression mm -hmm. yep. will become. Like we yep. can't have adulterers in, nope. in the city of Enoch. That can't happen. But that city has to be a group where, I mean, to a man and to a woman, everyone truly understands God's law and they're truly living it. Um, and we don't have that here. We might have a handful of people who are on that spiritual level. I'm not. Um, and we might have a few people who are truly uh, there. Um, but we, you need a city of people who are at right. that level. And that's when it's like, if that person transgression transgresses having full knowledge, well, that's a much bigger deal. Yeah, and I think we go, we start diving into, to you know when when does it stop becoming faith and start becoming knowledge sort of a thing before yeah. before you get there so yeah no i i agree with you 100% so you remember the first tiktok you put out did was there hesitancy what what, what were you thinking a little bit um cuz i think when i first got on there i was like mostly like trolling people in comments sections um i'm like not afraid to admit that i'm i'm not above that um but um there was this like anti-creator who um, he went off about how like one of the ways you know that the church is a cult is um, because they have all this money and instead of paying for janitors, they ask for people to help um, volunteer with cleaning. And I was like, <laughs> of all the, like, that was just like low hanging fruit. And I was like, of all the like signs of a cult, like asking for volunteers to clean, you know, like my, my kids little league requires you to volunteer for cleanup, you know, like that's like, <laughs> this is not what makes a cult. <laughs> you know. Um, so I just got on there and, uh, and made fun of them. And there was like a little bit of hesitancy, but I was like, well, you know, this, let's just dive in and, and do it. And that like a lot of the regular members of the church really liked that. Cause that guy is pretty obnoxious. Um, but um, then as I kind of like dived in and people are, are asking me questions, I'm like, Oh, I'm a fundamentalist. And you know, my, I'm the 1889 Mormon on their 1889 Mormonism so um 
it just became this really interesting thing where now you're getting lots of questions um, and I can go back and forth between um, ex-Mormons who are like hostile to the church. And I can kind of be like, well, actually, you've got a good point, you know, like the church did change that. And here's what was originally taught, you know, and you can, right. you can do that. So, you know, you get people who like and dislike you on both sides and, you know, yeah. well with that. So to date, and, and maybe this is information you don't have, what, what do you think your most viewed TikTok was? Um, shoot, I can check. Um, I think it was a bunch of feminists got mad at me because I made a they because so, someone was saying like in in Mormonism, um, the only purpose of a woman is to make babies. Um, and I got on there and I was like, well, like that's our purpose, right? Like that's our response. It's not like, it's not like if your wife doesn't have a, a baby, you're just like, you know, you're no good to me. Get out of here. Like that's right. obviously. Um, and so they, they, so I got on there and I was just like, yeah, you know, um, women like making babies. Like that's not <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like they do. And like sure some don't but you know pretty much they do um and they all got real mad about that one um and i had to just block a bunch of people because they were just um <laughs> just really and you know they'd be like well i hate children and i don't want to have kids or i oh this i had this terrible experience in childbirth and it scarred me from having children and just like on and on and on and i was like okay well like there wouldn't be so many people if women did not like babies and weren't willing to have them. Like we just, there wouldn't be so many of us like right. <laughs> this isn't, but like something, so I don't really get into a ton of like deep, deep doctrines because like really simple things can be hard for people. Um, oh yeah. And then, so there was that, and then there was another one that sometimes random ones, like the algorithm on TikTok just like kicks it off and you'll get a bunch of views and you can never tell why. But the other one was just a random one where uh, um, somebody tried to pull um, and say like, if you if you follow Jesus, you should be a socialist because Jesus wasn't. Oh. So, so I, yeah, I made a response to that. I, I remember that part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, uh, don't give it to the poor, give it to a big government for them to redistribute. I totally remember yeah. that part. I was there, right? Right. Yeah. Like they're getting a lot of mileage out of render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, you know, they they really are. Yeah, no. when, <laughs> like when a so that's not the only thing he said. <laughs> when a socialist tries to make make that argument that you know, and and you're seeing it creep out of BYU more and more now, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, really the law of consecration and united order that's just socialism with a re religious bent, and I'm like, slow your roll, it's nothing of the sort. <laughs> well, um, and to be fair to them, uh, a lot of times. And I'm not an expert on on this uh, area, but a lot of times it it kind of was um, in practice. I don't think that jives with like what the Doctrine and Covenants says it should be. Um, but there were kind of um, a lot of the attempts at United Order um, 
uh, I think probably did have a little too much control and not enough, um, you know, freedom and how they went about things. I, I agree with you, but you could see different flavors of, of, of it being attempted, especially in the Utah period. Right. I mean, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, Brigham city was started off as a United order and did really yeah. well and maintained, uh, maximum freedom and, and, and whatever within that system and, and did very well at it. There were other places that didn't do that. And, and I think, I think that comes from probably folks not having a, a real good understanding of what the doctrine and covenants say can says concerning, you know, the law of consecration, United order, but yeah, no, there, there definitely were experiments where it was way top down and, and those failed quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's something I would like to do uh, a deep dive into um, and get a little bit more. Maybe you can find somebody who knows all about that. Um, Sounds like I already have. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't yet. I, I need to, but because I know, um, I mean, all I know about it is uh, like Orderville and the story that I heard when I was a kid in the church was that the whole thing fell apart because um, a bunch of the boys wanted like the new fashionable pants that were being sold and they didn't like the pants that the United Order was making for them. And and that like was the domino that like brought the whole thing to a collapse. <laughs> and now that I'm an adult and I'm looking back on that, I'm like, I don't think that was the full story. <laughs> No, no, that was not. You were correct. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So it sounds like you've got as many haters as you do people who are loving what you're doing, right? Yeah. And there's because that's of... been my experience, right? I have equal parts, Dave, you're a dirtbag, and equal parts, Dave, thanks for doing that, right? I mean, they're, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's, it's kind of interesting, like who isn't a hater? Um, because there, there are a lot of like Exmos that are, that like the content that I, that I put out. Um, there's one, he's on there as a uh, black Smo, uh, his name's Spencer, but he's uh, the black ex Mormon. And his kind of the whole point of his content is the church is racist and the church was racist. And, and like, that's his like whole thing. And uh, I get on there and I'm like, yeah, I'm um, pretty sure they shouldn't have gotten rid of the, the priesthood ban. I think that probably should have stayed in place. And he and I are kind of pals, um, <laughs> which is because uh, I, I think for him, it's just like, oh, he's honest. Like right. he's not trying to like lie and tell me what he thinks I want to hear. He's telling me what he thinks, you know? And I think that just that alone can be so refreshing for some people um, that even if they hate what you're saying, they're just glad that you're not being a coward about it. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think we're in a time now where, where people don't want you to have those kind of conversations, right? They just want to slap a label on somebody and be like, okay, there, we're done. We don't have to listen to them anymore. Because yeah. if you have a conversation, if you have a, a heart to heart, so to speak, well, all of a sudden we're not so different from everybody else. And yeah. if the guy I disagree with is more like me than what I thought, 
Well, now all of a sudden we don't have to be so separated. We can be like, yeah, I disagree with you. I think you're wrong, but I respect your opinion, right? I at least I can at least say that you've, you know, tried to understand. And I think that makes the the folks, whether it's the media or politicians, whatever, I think that makes them very nervous. I, I don't yeah. I don't think they like that a lot. And so anytime we have a conversation like we're doing here or when you put your stuff out on TikTok, I think that's almost a shot across the bow to a, a lot of the powers that be right now of, yeah, we got to shut this down because if if people all of a sudden come to this idea that that the ones we've labeled crazy maybe aren't so crazy and they're just people too, that leaves a lot of room for understanding. And maybe it's not in the power structure's best interest in that they can't keep us separated anymore. Yeah, I I really... Um... I really resonate with a, a lot of that because um, it's uh, it, that was like one of the like pleasant things that's come out of um, being on TikTok is being able to have like friendly conversations with people that like I know they don't agree with me. And that's not why we're talking. It's because it's like, oh, here's someone who's actually coming forward and saying what they think. And and, you know, with uh, with Spencer, with the, the black ex-Mormon um he um he and i were able to kind of connect like we both went through a divorce we we both have two sons that are like pretty close and uh, to similar ages um and so we were able to kind of connect on just sort of a human level of having some similar experiences um and that, that's a that's a, i think that's a beautiful thing whenever you can see that so yeah if there's anyone who is listening to this and thinking that they want to get on TikTok, like hop in, you know, there's, there's plenty of room. Yeah. And, and I've said that too. I'm like, we're a big enough community that one or two voices isn't going to be enough. Right. We need to have a lot of different perspectives because certainly it, I can be wrong a lot. In fact, one of my first episodes was me just introducing myself saying, I'm going to say things that are going to piss you off at some point. Just kind of count on that, right? And right. when I'm wrong, I'm I'm willing to to say I'm wrong, right? And and yeah, just just being able to to admit, you know, yeah, we're going to have our differences, but that doesn't mean we have to hate each other either. Yeah, well, it's kind of like I, I might be wrong, but I'm not lying, you know? right? Um, like this is what I think. This is why I think it. Here's how I got to where I'm at, and um, and I think you can do that with anyone and anyone who's willing to do that. Like you can have a productive conversation. With that kind of person. Yeah. And, and the more people that are out there talking, I think it's, it's just better all the way around. Um, Cause again, I mean, more Mormon fundamentalists are just as unique as anybody else. Right. I mean, to try to, yeah. to, to homogenize any group of people is a disservice to individuals. And, yeah. uh, yeah, more more voices the better. What yeah. what, are, what are some of the 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 best um, responses you've got? Like like what's something that you weren't prepared for as far as someone saying, "Thanks for doing this." Um, well, uh, I kind of mentioned already the the most like unexpected one. Um, you know, I, I think that there's been there was one uh, kid um, at BYU Idaho. I shouldn't call him a kid. He's a grown man, you know, but um, I just think because he's in his early twenties, he's at uh, BYU Idaho, and um, 
he saw my TikToks and he said, oh, well, I'm starting a podcast and you seem interesting. Like, can I interview you? And I was like, sure. And I had like had, you know, just a handful of videos on there. Like I, you know, and, and he was just starting this like, this was just kind of a project for him. He's like, well, I'm going to start this this podcast. And so I was one of the first people that he interviewed on there. Um, and for me, like, I just liked that because um, that just felt like a connection to sort of like a, a younger version of myself. <laughs> like somehow right. I was speaking back in time to, to someone else who was uh, in a, a similar situation. And he's like, you know, asking me all these questions. And because it is kind of exciting when you're like, oh, wait, like fundamentalist one, they, they've got a much stronger case than we ever thought they did. Um, they've got a good, they're raising some good points, at least. Um, and they aren't scary, weird, creepy people. Right. You know? um, and so that was, uh, yeah, I, I really liked that. But I had a lot of uh, responses kind of uh, across the board um, from from good people who uh, you know, were really positive. Yeah, I... I, I feel like we're having a fundamentalist moment right now in society. I really do. With I started the, the podcast. I got through three or four episodes before Under the Banner of Heaven came out. And I thought, oh, crap, we I, pro- I can't not address this, right? And then you had Keep Sweet, whatever it was, the Netflix yeah. one on right one day. Yep, yeah. and then, uh, then the, the Mormon No More one that came out. And so right as I fired this up, I had all of this coming, right? And I, 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 think, I think it's one of those times where you look at it and you're like, this is kind of a fundamentalist moment here. And if, if we're not out there talking, well, we've seeded ground, right? We, we've, just, we've just regressed. We're, 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 not, we're not engaging and we're allowing others to frame who we are and what we believe, and there's a real danger in that, right? I mean, you you then become the other. And in doing that, um, it's a lot easier to make people into monsters or, or any any such thing as that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and what that brings to mind is um, whenever I talk to my boys, because um, they're, they're eight and six years old. Um, and so when I talk to them about like, bullies and standing up for yourself and standing your ground there's this little clip on youtube that i found of a hiker who comes across a mountain lion and he's recording this interaction Mm -hmm. where he stands his ground against this mountain lion and he just stands there and he just starts shouting at him busts his chest up and he's like you get away from me he starts yelling at this cougar um and and the mountain lion just like stops and is kind of confused because he like a second ago this was prey and I could destroy it and now it's not scared of me now I don't know what to do and he just keeps like he doesn't move towards the the mountain lion he doesn't like threaten it but he stands his ground and he just starts shouting and then eventually the cat just gets kind of confused and thinks like well uh, I'm going to go find my meal somewhere else and, you know, runs off. Um, and I think that uh, applies to us because there's been so much fear with fundamentalists. You know, we've got like 
you know, the Arizona raids that happened like what, in the fifties or, and, and we're, we've had so much persecution where we have this fear and we think I need to hide. I need to stay away. I need to keep everyone safe. Um, and we have that mentality that we want to shrink um, and, and hide ourselves. Just lay but low, like, keep your head low. Yeah. And, and I kind of yeah. get it, right? Because those are societal oh, yeah. scars, right? As, as I talk to some of the old timers in fundamentalism, those scars are still very real. These are, these are guys these who people's... either have been taken, right? I, I know of one guy in particular who was a child taken out of Short Creek, right? Yeah. And he talks about the separation and the heartbreak. So I don't want to make light of folks who have oh, yeah. lived through that because th those do bear societal scars. However, guys like you and I, we're from a different generation in a different time, right? Where we don't have those scars. And I think I, I feel it in my gut deep that we're in this fundamentalist moment and we have got to open our mouths. And the thing is like, um, when you're being portrayed as this like terrible person, there's this in the mindset of that predator of that mountain lion. If you try to run away, you're confirming that you really are prey and I should be chasing. And so if people are saying, oh, fundamentalists are all pedophiles, they're all creepy cult leader, they're doing all these terrible things, they're all, they they mistreat their wives, they, they abuse their kids, like all these terrible things. If you run and hide, in their mind, they think it must be true. If they're running away and they're hiding, I guess all those things I said about them, because they... Why would you run away if, you know, if you're feeling guilty, it must be that. And that's not, not true. You know, it's just like, you know, look, good people have had um, terrible things happen to them uh, for, for the truth's sake. Um, and Christ told us in the Sermon on the Mount, he said that that would happen to us. But he said that we would be blessed when men speak evil of us and revile against us. Uh, but it's if they speak evil of you falsely. So, so the evil has to be false. If, if the evil they speak about you is true, you're not blessed anymore. Um, but if you're hearing false things uh, said about you, you have to stand your ground. You have to stand up and say that's not true. Um, and you need to kind of put yourself out there so that there isn't, um, so that that image is challenged. And that's when the mountain lion backs away and leaves you alone is when you don't run away and you don't act scared. Yeah. And, and not only does it, does this idea of, of getting out there and saying, yeah, you know, I, I'm a fundamentalist. Not only does that help for kind of self-preservation of fundamentalism as a community, but I think also um, we're going to come into a time here real fast where, I think you're going to have a lot of mainstream LDS folks starting to question some things. And I, I'm not sure, let me rephrase that. I know for a fact that it's fundamentalists who are uniquely positioned to be able to answer some of those questions as they start coming forward, because we've done our homework, right? We've been, ex we've either yeah. been exposed to it because we've lived in those communities 
or we're, we've come out of the LDS church and we've gone through that. And in, in some ways it's kind of, it's kind of a, oh, a contradiction. It seems on the surface, but in some ways we might be the ones uniquely positioned to help save some of that membership for the church, if not Mormonism in general, right. Not, not having yeah. them throw the baby out with the bathwater. Cause you're right. You said earlier there there seems to be two ways you can go when you learn about this, right? There's three, but predominantly two. One is is that you leave the church entirely, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. The second is you become a fundamentalist, and then every once in a while you find somebody who can learn all this and then stay in the church. But really, it's those first two options you got. So if if we're in the in the in the business of trying to save souls, of trying to get people to a better plane, a better way of life, we might be the ones uniquely positioned at this moment within church history, certainly LDS history, certainly Mormon history of stepping to the for- forefront and kind of answering that call a little bit. Yeah. Well, and because what we're dealing with is kind of the spiritual warfare where in 1890, the church made an agreement with Babylon. Mm-hmm. They said, we will submit to you. If you you take the persecution away, you take the threat and the fear away, um, and we'll do what you say. And so, um, you know, the church, I, I often say that the church will be just as righteous as Satan will give them permission to be. Um, and, and that's what it, it is. Um, and a lot of people have a hard time hearing that, but it isn't so much plural marriage. It's the fact like any doctrine, if it had been baptisms for the dead, you know, and they had agreed to stop doing that. Like you are saying to Babylon, we'll do what you want. You know, let us be a part of your system. Let us be. And, and yeah, we're going to teach people about Jesus Christ. And we know you guys don't like that, but, um, We'll we'll keep them away from the deeper things. We're not going to let them know about plural marriage. We're not going to let them know about the law of consecration. No, we're not going to let them know about second anointings and the fullness of the priesthood. Um, you know, we're not going to teach them how to become a king and a priest and queens and priestesses. We'll we'll keep all that information away from them, so they can just be good, productive citizens, never question anything. Um, and that's really what happened. And so um, the church is always going to cave. Uh, and every time they do, some people wake up and it's a minority. But, you know, I, another thing that happened to me when I was in the church, that I'm just recalling is um, as I was preparing for my mission, when I went through the temple um, and they did the washing and anointings, I went in right after they made uh, change to that and they did the washing anointings and they said we wash and anoint you only symbolically and i was like wait why am i being symbolically washed and anointed shouldn't i be actually washed and anointed <laughs> yes <laughs> like well, i don't understand you know and i was just like i'm not symbolically baptized you know like, right and and that stuck with me and i had no answer for that at all but it was one of those things that like stuck with me and it wasn't years later before I figured out like, Oh, they changed it. You know? And then in 2019, 
they made they kind of said all right feminist you can rewrite the temple and and we'll take out all the stuff that makes you feel icky yep uh, and they did it again and they're gonna keep doing it because babylon doesn't like the kingdom of god these are two separate kingdoms they're two different jurisdictions and um they will continue to whittle away at what level of righteousness the church is allowed to promote and the and when that happens not the majority but a small minority in the church is going to say but wait no that was real like i had a testimony of that they told me that they wouldn't change it and then they did and they didn't come and say thus saith the lord unto my people it was just it was what the government wanted or it was what society wanted it was the popular thing to do um and that can't be why you change something and people are going to have those questions and just like you said if we're not out there um how you know it's they can still find it you know like there were people that did their digging back in the day that helped us um but you know as much as we can i think we should make it a little easier for those people and um give them a hand to to help um pull them up when they see that the church is uh, only following that along absolutely and you know the the other thing that that i think we have to do as a community is not do the i told you so game right which is really tough to do because certainly as i've come out as a fundamentalist i've had all sorts of people coming around and well okay i'll share this story i i I don't think i've ever shared this on the podcast before but i will when when i went in and told my leadership hey i'm done in the lds church it's been great i have no animosity but i'm out I remember that they sent over um, because I was in a position of leadership when I did this and they sent somebody over to try to like talk me back off the ledge, so to speak. Right. And uh, I I won't name names, but this guy's father is a 70. Okay. And uh, he said, uh, what, what problems are you seeing? And I named off a bunch. And one of them was the kind of the caving that we were starting to see around the LGBTQ issue. Right. And I just told him, I said, look, in in 20 to 30 years, probably you're going to I think you'll end up seeing uh, gay marriages solemnized, solemnized in the temple. And he said that will never happen. Well, fast forward only three years later and the church came out in support of the bill yep. to, to back, you know, gay marriage that while, while they came out and said, we still believe it's between a man and a woman, but we're going to back this bill. Make no mistake. They're, they're seeding the ground for, for seismic change. And, and even this guy whose dad is a 70, I saw him on the road the other day, you know, just out for a walk. Cause I still live in the same, neighborhood i left the church in and i live i live in orem right so it's you know great place. <laughs> yeah it's it's you know yeah your neighborhood is your ward here um we just stopped and talked and he said you know you may be right 
And everything in me at that point, Benjamin, wanted to be like, I told you, I told you, you didn't listen. It, and one of the few times that I listen to the spirit, right, as I try to be better, I'm like, don't, I, I feel the spirit go, don't do that. Because yeah. it'll just short circuit anything. So as people are coming out and discovering all this, we can't be, because everything in you wants to be like, I told you, I told you, you, you didn't listen. We can't do that. We got to be able to take a step back a little bit and be like, it's okay. It's all right. A lot of people didn't know. It's cool. Right. And then be able to shepherd them along. And we got to remember, like, that was us too, you know, yes. <laughs> um, like that, that was us. Um, and they're doing the same thing that we did where they're like, no, like, it can't be that. Like the church can't be an apostasy. Like that has to be wrong, you know, and they're, they're trying to negotiate that and hold on to that. And we all did the same thing. Absolutely. You know, all of us who came out of the church, we we all did the same thing. Um, I think, you know, like you mentioned your convert, I think converts kind of have an easier time because they're like, well, I I, I already yeah. like, you know, lost family and friends and rebuilt like what I thought I knew about the world. Let's do it again. You know, it'll be a little easier second time around. It It is um, easier for converts because we've already stripped down to the foundation once before. So doing it again doesn't seem as terrifying. Um, yeah yeah definitely no my wife had a um a much easier time uh with things because she's kind of funny like she grew up in a in a very secular home um and her you know her parents are honorable people uh, but just not religious and um she you know she read the new testament when she was um a teenager and was like oh like I, this is right you know like and so then she was just like okay well who are the christians that like are actually trying to do what this says you know <laughs> like it isn't the like christmas and easter crowd and so she started uh attending church with a, a group of mennonites um because like they're they were taking their religion seriously um, and, you know, she came across uh, some missionaries and uh, from the church and started reading the Book of Mormon. But she had kind of, um, she had heard about plural marriage and she thought it through and she was like, well, that actually sounds like a really great, like, I think I would like that, you know, um, that sounds like a great idea. So she was asking the missionaries about that. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I, I do love the LDS missionaries, but I'm not going to lie. I do enjoy the squirm, right? Because yeah. I, I remember when I oh, like, yeah, I, I remember when I told you I was kind of inoculated, so to speak, early on because I got yeah. my hands on some excerpts from the Journal of Discourses. And I remember I slid over the Adam God stuff to this one elder and I watched him squirm. And then later I saw the bishop squirm and the stake president squirmed a little less, but was still squirming. I'm a fan of the squirm. Uh -huh. I, I must admit when, yeah. when, when that uncomfortableness happens, I'm like, Oh good. This is exactly where I want to be. We're all a little guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So for her, um, you know, the missionaries were like, well, we don't believe that anymore. That was, we did that a long time ago. We don't do that anymore. And she, and she was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of, all right, well, whatever. And, but she read the book of Mormon. She got a testimony of it. And then um, when she and I met, um, I was like, all right, 
let me tell you about the Adam God doctrine and the 1886 <laughs> revelation. And, you know, and she, she was like, this is great. You know, like, cause she had been like, I've been in the church for like three or four years now at this point. And I stopped learning anything new like yeah. a couple of years ago. And the fact that someone can actually tell me something that I didn't know through and through already is kind of amazing. Yeah. Exciting. I'll say this for converts. Well, let me just speak for myself. I think you only come into Mormonism as a convert when maybe there's something a little wrong with you. Right. <laughs> and, and I say that because I know I was certainly looking for redemption. I was looking for my father's redemption who had passed on before me. Um, I had gotten into some really horrible habits, um, drinking being one of them. I was really good at that naturally. And, uh, I, I just remember standing in the font and I said, you know what, God, I will follow this out to its most logical conclusion, wherever your truth is, I will follow that no matter what. So I think, I think converts or people who've had that conversion experience, even if you were raised in Mormonism, I think we all have to go through that. Yeah. But I, I think I think there comes a point at which you're just like, whatever the truth is, consequences be damned. This is what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah, um, it, it does come down to that. But I just like because, you know, when I talk to my wife about my experience, like she doesn't get all of the like kicking and screaming that I did to try and like hold on to the church because she was just like, well, like once you learn what happened you go with that and i was like yeah but like <laughs> yeah it was a lot i had this whole like emotional thing that i had to get over um and she was just like oh great you can do plural marriage still let's do that you know yeah you know i think part of it is too um and again this is only speaking from my experience and my wife was raised in the church but she was really gung-ho about fundamentalism more so than I was when even after, you know, things went sideways a little bit there for a while. Um, she she was pretty gung-ho about it. But the one thing I did notice is that even with as gung-ho as she was, she still had to contend with the feelings of I'm letting my whole family down. I am disrupting what my family has done for centuries, Right. We we went to the LDS church because that's what we did as whoever you are, the Smiths or the Jones or whatever. We we go to the LDS church and there's this fear of losing your children and, you know, having heaven not be heaven because not all your kids are there. And so it it, it can be it's got to be horrible. Right. And you have all these fond memories as a kid growing up in the LDS church and 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 work yeah. in the program and so changing that can be super scary and i think that's something as fundamentalists we have to be cognizant of as well is that look a lot of these folks are stepping out into a place that is foreign it is um different than what they've known and it's upending a lot of things that people held as truth and infallible yeah well and one of the things that the church does in general um, I don't know about like, you know, different um, sects um, might be doing things okay. But what, one of the things that the church does really well um, is they have organization. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, who's in charge of what. 
and like you've got a manual for everything and you know like if you want to know like how's the right way to do this like there's a manual and there's a person in charge of it and um and that is a brings a sense of safety you know um the problem is with a top-down approach um everyone's on the same page but if the leaders are wrong it's the wrong page um so the organization can be a hindrance but it it still feels safe and so people leaving that and coming into fundamentalism and it's sort of the wild west um uh, with fundamentalists it's like well it's kind of hard a lot of times to see a, a safe landing place yeah yep and and i think that's going to be the challenge right we have to we have to be in such a place spiritually that we're comfortable getting our answers directly from God. But also here, here, I think here's the bigger challenge. We have to be willing and then become comfortable with this idea of, can I be a soft landing spot for somebody else? Yeah. Right. Can I be that guy that when someone's like, so what do I do on Sunday now? Right. Yeah. And then you say, you know what, come to my house. We have sacrament in my house. We have a little, a little, you know, lesson that we we go over, or we have a family discussion. Come be part of that. And so we we have to be able to extend that and be comfortable being that soft landing spot for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, we really do. I mean, you know, our pioneer ancestors um, planted crops that they knew they weren't going to eat um, for the future people who were coming um to to do and people have done that for us um you know i wasn't going to do like i wasn't going to do all of the research that drew briney did to bring everything about adam god together in one place you know like it was enough work for me to like get through the book like that was that was like my effort um and so and there's tons of people who who worked and labored and suffered to put us in a better position and to benefit us and we have to we have to be that chain uh, to the next group of people like we have to deepen and increase our spirituality we have to improve our ability to receive revelation um and then we have to make the road a little bit easier for um closer absolutely so what's your plans for for your uh i don't know is your channels on tiktok how's that work i i'm not sure uh, like i said i'm 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 kind of a technophobe so yeah pages um there's a lot of topics um i haven't covered that i still want to um i've had a couple of people who are on the like pro lds church side you know, I, there's one creator who said, uh, he's like, well, like, if Joseph Smith really did teach the Adam God doctrine, I'd take that a lot more seriously. You know, he's like, I still think it was just Brigham that made it up, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, well, I got to I got to go at that in detail and, uh, you know, lay all of that out. Um, and so yeah there, there's a lot of things that i want to do of, of just um kind of having a, a bite size um segment put out there but there's so much that people can do one of the things that like i've um learned an observation that i've made from like the the tlc shows 
that have been out there. I think that's if anyone offers you a bunch of money to like have your family filmed, I would decline that. Um, run, run. <laughs> um, there are better ways to do what you want to do with that that aren't going to come with like a lot of pressure to like have fights with your wives and stuff. Um, don't do that. But like, there's so many, like, I know that there are families out there that are doing homesteading, you know, there are polygamous families that like their, their whole like YouTube channels and TikTok um, pages that are totally dedicated to homesteading where, and it's like, here's me milking my cow and this is how I do that. And this is how we take care of the goats and the chickens. And and like people watch that and they think that's interesting. Do it. If that's, if someone listening to that and that's your situation, do that with your wives and talk about what it's like doing that as a, a plural family. I know that there are people who could do that really easily. Um, like I'm, kind of focused on breaking down doctrine and i'm just trying to take like these things that the church used to teach that doesn't anymore that have been preserved through fundamentalism and i want to put it out in like simple easy to understand bite-sized formats but that isn't what everyone has to do um get on there like if you've got something unique and if you're living plural marriage you're pretty unique to a lot of people um, if you are, you know, if, if you're an interesting person who has a, a cool hobby, if you really like hunting, um, if you really like, you know, um, whatever you're into, there are segments of TikTok that are all about that weird, obscure hobby that you have. And if you've got that and you're fundamentalist, like get on TikTok and just be both. You know, like talk about your the stuff that you're into and be open about being a fundamentalist. And and, it's, and like that's going to break down barriers for people. Then you're not a scary person. You're a, a real human being. Absolutely. Well, dude, that's good stuff. We've been at this now just shy of two hours. So anything you want to say that you didn't say? <clears throat> um. No, I mean, I, I think I, I covered it. I just, yeah, like, I guess just to reiterate, like, um, if we don't speak up for ourselves, other people are going to be happy to do it. And they're going to take the very worst version of what we believe out there and make it seem like that is the only thing. And, you know, get out there. If you're happy, healthy people um, who are doing uh, things the right way, let your light shine, get out there, TikTok, YouTube, whatever you do, but let people see what you're doing. And that's going to have a huge effect on people. Perfect. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Benjamin, thanks for being here, man. Yeah. Thanks so much. Let's do was, it again. Now I tell everybody this, once you're on once you have a standing invitation. So okay. if you've got something you want to talk about, you let me know. We'll make the time. Cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. Dude, it was awesome. Let's do it again. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Bye, everybody.